All right, I'm going to call us back together, family, for the reading of our word this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you on a rainy Sunday. Almost slept in, but then that would have changed the day for us, wouldn't it? So if you have a shed Bible, I'm missing this. If you have a shed Bible, we will be on page 641. If you're watching at home and you have a Bible, perhaps just your phone close by, we'll be in the book of Isaiah this morning in chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And we'll be reading the first 10 verses together. It reads this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. Young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. So, quick question for us this morning. How many of you have already started playing Christmas music? Serious question. Yeah. Okay. So the rest of us are waiting till after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the right answer, I think. Um, if you're watching at home, perhaps you're playing music in your living room or your bedroom already. But as we think about what's coming up for us in the next few weeks, what we are anticipating. I have three questions for us to consider. And those questions are, are we there yet? Can I wake up now? And finally, how much longer until it's over? If you're the parent grandparent, babysitter, guardian, or even just amused observer of any young child, my two oldest included, you've heard some variation of one of these questions over and over and perhaps over again. Let me show you a quick picture. This is my oldest, Brooklyn, and this was us while we were baking not too long ago. 
And as we were baking, we were, we were doing these chocolate chip cookies that I really love from Magnolia Table, if any of you are a fan of Joanna Gaines. We were doing these chocolate chip cookies, and Brooklyn asked, right as I put these chocolate chip cookies into the oven, we had just heard click on the oven door, and she asked this question, Mom, is it time? Are the cookies ready? And I just gave her this puzzled look because, of course, no, the cookies weren't ready. But she asked me to turn on the oven light so she could see and watch the little cookies, like not do anything, really, for 30 seconds. I'm like, honey, it's going to take at least 10 to 11 minutes, and then we got to take them out. They've got to cool on the rack, and then we're going to put them on the plate, and then we've got to bake some more. And she's just sitting there, and I can tell she's frustrated. Because these cookies are taking entirely way too long. Are we there yet? Can I wake up now? Is what my kids ask when it's 5.02 a.m. Let's just say on a Sunday morning like today. (laughs) How much longer until it's over? And let's go ahead and add to the list, is it time? Is it time? Church, we're in the second half of our Steadfast series, and now we are walking through our mission statement as a church, and this is where we've gone so far. Troy and Tim led us. We are living out the way of Jesus in missional communities. And this morning, we're going to pause and talk about announcing the arrival of his kingdom. And church, those questions we know to be popular and regularly posed from the mouths of eager children all of a sudden sound like the same questions I've been asking for the past 35 weeks. And maybe you have been asking them too. Are we there yet? Have we reached our destination? Is there any end in sight? Can I wake up now? Can I transition from darkness into the light of day? Can we move on to something else? How much longer, Lord, until this is over? Is it time for something new? Recently, research and resource firm Barna Group, they did a study in mid-April of this year where they asked pastors about the immediate needs of their congregants. Emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, and relational well-being topped the list. Then, three months later, they asked the same set of pastors the same questions, and this was in August, and church leaders reported higher numbers than before in both spiritual needs and relational needs. And my guess is that if we asked our family here, sitting in the shed and watching online at home, what do you need in this season? Our results might look pretty similar. A little closer to home, this is a fresh study from this month out of West Michigan University. And it talked about the relationship between mental health and social isolation, this back and forth that we've been doing with quarantining and being together and quarantining again. And they found that social social isolation like we've experienced on and off since April, was a very strong predictor of depression, of anxiety, and of stress across the board. 
Everyone just take a deep breath for me. And notice, have you been holding any tension in your body for the past 30 minutes? Any at all? Is your jaw tight? Are your shoulders tight? We've been holding on to all of this. And the more personal reality for some of us this morning is that we turn over the idea of a fun and exciting prospect, some news that we were looking forward to, a new baby, an engagement, a job offer, a first house, retirement. And still many of us can't ignore that there's been this looming cloud over some of the most meaningful and even mundane moments of our lives the past few weeks. Some of us are had it up to here frustrated. We're anxious, disheartened, weary. Perhaps we were looking forward to seeing family and friends at Thanksgiving, and I'm pretty sure that at least a couple of us in this room have had to pivot our plans. And there's some lingering disappointment with that news. Some families' plans have changed overnight. We're looking forward to perhaps some closure as it relates to COVID, but in fact, trends are heading in the opposite direction of closure here in the U.S. And yesterday alone, we recorded over 181,000 new positive cases and 1,349 COVID-related, not just deaths, but precious lives. Our brothers and sisters in the healthcare system, many of you watching at home or in this room right now, you're discouraged. You could cut the tension that's still present politically with a butter knife. Because what we were looking forward to on January 1st, 2020, when the ball dropped, when this was our year, remember that? This was going to be our year. We were looking forward to resolution, answers, a verdict, an email, a date, a clean-cut victory, Christmas parties, and yet those things are taking too long have turned into nothing like what we expected. Or in some cases, they seem unlikely altogether. Church, what state does this leave us in? What state does this leave you in? And maybe you're not in that place now, but if you have been, over the past few weeks at any point in time, where did it leave you? Where does this leave us? Well, the good news is there's a prophet in the Old Testament who knew what it meant to meet the tension of a given moment. And yet what's so fascinating to me is that what he pointed to wasn't his feelings. He didn't point to the circumstance as the ultimate outcome, but he pointed to something greater than the tension or the triumph of his day, greater than the corruption of King Ahaz, greater than the good reign of King Hezekiah. What he pointed to was the reign of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that was still to come and yet would be one that the disciples wouldn't even fully understand. Gerald Sitzer sums up their expectation pretty nicely in his book, Water from a Deep Well. The disciples, they inherited from their Judaic background an expectation that the Messiah would emerge as a great leader to drive out the hated Romans, 
reestablish Israel's independence and usher in a golden age. Jesus' death on the cross put an end to their hopes. And if Jesus had remained in the grave, then the movement would have quickly faded. The disciples, way after this prophecy that we read from Isaiah 11, were expecting something completely different. And in the death of Jesus Christ, they thought it was over. They thought all hope was lost. So as we step into this part of our mission as a church for this time, in this place, in West Michigan, we have to understand as best we can, what that kingdom that Isaiah was talking about was actually about so that we, as this present generation of the church, might take note and take heart as we pursue mission in the midst of all of our earthly realities. So to sum up these 10 verses, there's this little saying that we're going to walk through. And it just kind of chunks up Isaiah's, this passage in Isaiah, into three parts. And the saying is this, this kingdom comes from little, is fair to the least, and ushers in a reign of peace. This kingdom comes from little, is fair to the least, and it ushers in a reign of peace. Let's walk through part of this text and break this down a little. So what does it mean that this kingdom comes from little? There's so much packed into just the first verse of Isaiah 11. It says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now there's so much that has happened before we get to Isaiah chapter 11. This is the book of first Isaiah, if you break down the entire book over all of its chapters. But probably one of the most well-known passages back in chapter 9 is one that we'll end up working through during Advent. And this passage foretold of a child that would be born, and the government would be upon that child's shoulders. Perhaps you know the rest. And then in chapter 10, Right before we get to where we just read from this morning, the Assyrians, the enemies of God, were compared to tall, lofty trees and boughs that would be cut down because of the Lord's judgment. And here, only two verses later, we read, dance break, I'll take it. Use a dance break. Um, only two verses later, we see this really harsh contrast to these tall trees that were towering and then cut down. This was not a tall, lofty tree, but a stump. A stump. What the prophet is doing is he's telling us a bit of background about Jesse's family just in one verse. We know that the Messiah is from the reign of David, but David isn't mentioned here. Jesse is. Why in the world would Jesse be mentioned? We heard the Messiah, we heard David called the son of Jesse, and this was said with a bit of contempt because the type of life his father lived and the humble means from which he came in Bethlehem was not great, was not laudable, it was not impressive. 
The royal family, the house of David then, would be cut down because of God's judgment on Israel, leaving only a stump, as we read about again in Daniel chapter 4. And sure enough, it would be 600 years between the royal authority of the line of David lying dormant and the coming of Jesus Christ as king. Are we there yet? Is this over? Ma, are the cookies ready? 600 years. But out of the confounding contrast would be a branch. Now, this branch isn't one of those thick ones that you can hang one of those cool swings from that the kids love these days. This is like a twig. It's a sprout. It's weak and it's vulnerable. And out of this environment and circumstance of humiliation would come fruit. Out of humble, unexpected, unimpressive circumstances would come fruit. What's probably more confounding to Isaiah's audience is that he's not talking about a current king or future Davidic king. He's not pointing back to Ahaz or Hezekiah who are corrupt and godly, respectively. He's pointing to something else that comes from very little. Church, the origins of the kingdom that we profess to have hope in has its beginnings not in great might, and splendor and majesty of tall, lofty trees, but in a measly stump. The good news, however, is that redemptive beginnings can come out of chopped up endings. And some of you, you're looking at the circumstances of your life or what we are navigating as society, as a country, as a world, and you see a lot of chopped up mess. You see an ending. Well, we profess in a kingdom that began with a measly stump. So here's my first encouragement to us. Don't give up on the stumps that you see, because God's not done yet. So many of you have seen this book. It's The Giving Tree. One of my favorites, my mother read it to me when I was a little girl. Some of the younger uh, students or kids in the audience might recognize this book. It's a really simple and beautiful book, and it's the story of this tree that gives and gives and gives to this little boy, and this, this tree produced apples and good fruit, and as the boy grew up, the tree gave more and more and more of itself until finally, at the very end of the book, there's just a little stump and we see that the tree is like, I don't know that I have any more to give. And the boy, an old man now, says, I don't need very much. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. And the tree said, well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the very last page says, and the tree was very happy. Church, sometimes I think we're, we're existing, coexisting in relationship, expecting tall trees to be the thing that save us and that provide. 
The origins of the kingdom of God came from something very little. And not only did it come from something really little, it's fair. The kingdom of God is fair to the very least among us. We're told that this branch will be full of life. And Isaiah goes on to tell us in subsequent verses of seven characteristics of the spirit of the Lord that will rest on him. And seven, as we know, is the number of fulfillment and completion and perfection. And this spirit is the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. We see these seven characteristics again in the book of Revelation from beginning to end. This offering, this kingdom, this king will be perfect. And we're told here about how he'll judge, not by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. My goodness, I don't know about you, but that's a word for me. He doesn't judge by what he sees or what he hears, but he judges by something else. He judges with righteousness. It says in verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. In a different translation it says he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Now here's what I find interesting. The coming Messiah that Isaiah tells us of is the final, ultimate judge. And that's really good news for some. The final ultimate judge isn't an earthly ruler. It's not the prophet himself. The Messiah will make fair decisions for those who've been exploited. And if you're sitting in a seat of the exploiter, this means your work will be undone. And if you're sitting in the seat of the oppressed, it means what harm and injustice and unfair treatment has come against you will be made right. One pastor says of this portion of the text, if the poor and the weak are given justice, all will be. If the poor and the weak are given justice, all will be. Church, can we name something explicitly this morning? Right now, as I observe where we are, there's tension when it comes to talk about justice. There's still tension. We've made it partisan. We've made the justice of God a partisan item on a ballot. But it's not partisan, it's kingdom. There are two prongs here. We cannot step into announcing the kingdom of God as both now and not yet if we ignore the plight of the systemically weak and oppressed. And we also cannot do that if we throw justice out of our conversations altogether. We can't not talk about justice. And so what that tells me is that there's work to do to reclaim what the justice of God actually means and what it actually looks like because the kingdom justice as defined by God himself isn't held hostage by one political party. 
And if we are going to be the church together, we must step into what's become muddy waters and ask the Spirit of God to help us through it. Because the kingdom of God is fair to the least. If we are going to understand the justice of God, this this word justice in this text is mishor, which is this level place and evenness. Think of a plateau. There's no high place. There's, there's, no, there's no low place. There's evenness and it's level. And the poor, as defined in this text, are those who are humbled by the conviction of their own poverty. And hear this, it's not just economic. It's not just economic, but spiritual too. These are the people who, because of their poverty, have laid aside all pride. The Messiah will protect and guard the meek who know the poor and lowliness of their own estate. The words from Matthew 5 ring in my ears now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The kingdom of heaven. So the next question for us as we consider what it means to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God is who are the poor amongst us? Who are they? As I, as I took on this question myself, the answers might include my neighbors who were alone for Thanksgiving this year. The elderly in homes all across our cities who don't have family, who can't accept visitors, Literal widows and widowers in homes, perhaps for the first time this year. The homeless amongst us in our downtown areas. The 400,000 children in foster care in our country who are ready for a forever home through adoption. We could go on and on. We could talk about our outreach and the Rohingya refugees that Christine told us about, and those would be good things. But what unlocked for me in this text and what I realized is that this season for me has been one where my spiritual need, my own spiritual poverty has become so pronounced. Because there have been multiple situations where I'm like, if I just do this, the situation will go my way. If I just try a little bit harder, we can work our way through it. If I just defy this system just, just a little bit, We can work our way out. And I'm seeing so clearly, even in just the past four to six weeks, my own spiritual need for a kingdom that's greater than any one person can usher in. This side of heaven. So announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God that is both coming and right here, right now, it doesn't look like bashing the oppressor or ignoring injustice. It looks like finding the parched land of the soul or the social situation and shouting from the rooftops with our proclamation and our physical presence that there is one judge. And he'll judge with righteousness and faithfulness when we've lost faith in everything else. That's the good news of the kingdom. Finally, this kingdom It ushers in a reign of peace. 
In this passage, these few verses are famously known as the peaceable kingdom. Where it says, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. His resting place will be glorious. Friends, the last time I went to the zoo back with my kids in 2019, I never saw prey mixed with predator. Because prey, as we know, wouldn't stand a chance. I mean, would you really house the zebra with the lion and expect the little tots that come through the zoo to maintain their innocence? No, it'd be a bloodbath. That's not what we see, but it's what the kingdom of God ushers in. It's what the kingdom of God ushers in. We see here that this is a kingdom, one of peace and safety. Struggle for power ceases. And so does enmity between God's creation. Hostility is reconciled. Unity is achieved. The earth is cared for, free of inhumane treatment. Paul talks about this restoration to creation in Romans 8. And I want to read this Romans 8 passage over you as you gaze upon this beautiful piece of artwork that I found by American artist John August Swanson. And what's interesting about John August Swanson is that he is a product of a Mexican mother and a Swedish father. And through his work, he tells of the juxtaposition and the intimate dance between reconciliation of all things. And this is his rendition of these few verses. It's beautiful. It's so moving to me. Romans 8, for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Don't you feel the groans? Don't you sense them yourself? That we're ushering something in and yet we're not quite there yet. And this picture and these passages remind us of what's coming and what's also available to remind ourselves of right now. This peace and this unity follow in the wake of the Messiah's righteousness and justice. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth in the way creation interacts, but also in the way we relate to one another. There will be no more contention. There will be no more power struggle. There will be no more this protest over that one. That's all going to cease, and isn't that good news for the weary soul today? This is the kingdom we profess Praise God, are we there yet? Is it time? All creation groans. Hmm. 
Church, if the kingdom that Isaiah prophesies about here, the humility and the meekness of what he lays out for us isn't adopted, if wrongs aren't named and righted as a prerequisite to unity being achieved, that's not what the kingdom of God's going to look like. But as we choose to do our part in making things right, we will see unity come more clearly into focus because the coming of the Messiah meant the kingdom of heaven was drawing near to us to experience right now, even as we wait for the complete fulfillment of the kingdom to come. It's drawing near right now. What did Jesus say to the 12 that he sent out in Matthew 10? He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves as prey amongst the predator. But what did he tell them to do? He said, go to the lost sheep and tell them the kingdom of God is where? It's near. It's near. It's right here. So circling back around to this moment with my kids baking these cookies, I mean, as a mom, what do you do? I mean, I wasn't going to let her sit there. I mean, I guess I could have for 10 minutes, but I didn't. I remembered the best part. And what's the best part? The leftover dough. Yes, amen. And so I grabbed that bowl and I said, Brooklyn, here's, here's the deal. You can't have the cookies just yet, but I tell you what, there's a little bit of dough left. And it's so good. You can only have one scoop because, you know, raw ingredients. But I want you to enjoy that one scoop. And she did. She took that scoop from that spoon. She said, Mama, this is so good. I said, I know it's just a taste. The cookies will be done later. It's just a taste. And as I told her that, I thought about our waiting and our groaning and us seeing not the things of the kingdom fully yet to completion, but here's the good news, church. We're asking all these questions. We're feeling weary. We're wondering when answers are going to come. We're wondering when the test results are going to come back. We're wondering when all this division and fighting will be over. We're wondering, we're wondering, we're wondering when equality and equity will be achieved. We're wondering when the poor will be elevated. But guess what? The kingdom of God coming now means that we get a taste we get a taste right now but here's my concern is that the things that aren't of the kingdom have captured our attention more than the beauty and the scandal of the kingdom of God we can't taste what's ours right now if we won't accept it if we won't realize it's right here, if we won't realize the kingdom of God is actually right here in this room, in the faces and the lives and the experiences of every single one of you in the shed and watching online, the kingdom of God is coming. And the kingdom of God is here. So may we not lose heart, church. All those questions we're asking, that's not where the answers come from. That's not the end. We have something better to announce and to proclaim to the world. Confession. About two Saturdays ago, when everyone else was refreshing their news feeds, do you remember that? 
Your thumb got real tired, trying to see which states were doing what. You know what I was thinking about? Puppies. And here's why, it's not because my parents are watching. I'll tell you about it later, mom and dad. Here's the deal. I was worried about what my kids were going to experience this Christmas. What joy was going to look like in our household. How I could start thinking now about joy that is coming. This actually happens all the time. Back in October, do you remember when you walked into World Market? And there was Christmas everywhere? It's because we are actually good at saying things are here right now that are not yet realized. But we're not practiced at doing it with the things of the kingdom. So our practice, as we wrap up this morning, is the practice of proclamation. But what this will require is a sense of presence and mindfulness to the things we say, do, talk about, give energy to, receive energy from, and we have to ask ourselves, church, what kingdom do those things proclaim? Is who we are as a church actually beckoning in reminders of what the kingdom of God is right now? Or are we further perpetuating division, indifference, apathy? I believe we can proclaim something better. And so for our practice this morning, we'll just do this in our seats. But it's really five questions that I want us to consider both this morning and going forward into our week. Because as we are on mission, church, what we proclaim to the watching world should be something that gives hope, that helps us wait with expectation, that helps us not look at the madness going on around us and say, that must be it. This is going to be the end of us. No, it's not. Because the church belongs to the Lord of heaven and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you would find a comfortable position. And I, the Holy Spirit is here, but I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to guide each and every one of you individually in this exercise. And what I hope we step into is a posture of meekness and humility that allows ourselves to be searched. I'll just read these first three questions and give you some time to take as much or as little time with each as you want. The first, in what situations have you recently asked questions like, how much longer is it time? (laughs) Invite the Holy Spirit into that tension. The second question, what have I recently defended, celebrated, or encouraged in myself or others? And finally, what do these questions, the two above, what do these questions and postures point to in the way of where I might be placing my hope? Because church, where we place our hope will be the place from which we proclaim something to the world. 
take some time with those three and then we'll move on. The final two questions, and we'll post these later if you want to work through them this week. Where have I noticed the indwelling or work of Christ's kingdom in my midst right now? This is a discipline to notice over and over and over again where God is actually at work in the midst of chaos, where he's growing fruit out of stumps. And then finally, how have I outwardly announced or met that work in word or presence? Does anyone else know that you notice? And how might your noticing bring hope to someone else? Hope in the way of the kingdom of God. Before we move to the table, I'll share with you where I see hope right now. Recently, I came across a woman who was born and raised in Grand Rapids. We became friends. She's a single mom to a beautiful 10-year-old daughter. And somehow she had the audacity to start a business in the midst of this mess. And what she's doing is she's teaching her neighbors that she grew up with on the other side of Martin Luther King Park, what it means to eat healthily and live a life that brings goodness to the earth by teaching about sustainable growth. She's partnering with other local women who are growing food in our area to bring healthy options to a neighborhood that many people have discarded. And she's become my friend. And I would say that watching her step into the midst of this mess and bring hope and life and light to so many is her proclamation. It's her announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And recently I got to take my kids to her store and she taught them about new fruits and vegetables. 
We might have a picture, I'll show you if we do. Um, but my kids lit up because they learned something new. My kids were so filled with joy to learn about apple pears <laughs> and foods they'd never seen before. And in that one small area on the corner of Hall and Kalamazoo Street, there was an announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, may we train our eyes and ears to see all around us where you're working, where you're making the high places low, where you're bringing justice and righteousness all across the earth and in our midst. Lord, your kingdom had its origins in a stump. God, by your Holy Spirit, may we humble ourselves, our hearts, and our lives. May we take a posture of meekness to know that what you're doing is greater than we could ever imagine. Lord, we, we have hope in your kingdom. God, make us into a church body right now by your Spirit that is on mission to announce not any other kingdom, but the kingdom of God that is both here and is coming to those who need that hope more than ever before. God, forgive us for the ways that we've made it about anything else. Forgive me for the ways that I've made it about anything else. Lord, we give you all the glory would you form us in proclamation of your kingdom in Christ's name? Amen. So as we come to the table, we're reminded that this meal is a really sweet taste for us this morning of Christ's kingdom that is available now because of Christ's work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his triumph over death. And we come to this table asking God to examine our hearts. And I'm going to add, to give us courage. As we walk out what it means to proclaim God's kingdom right now in our time and place. So it's in that spirit that I say, brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim, you proclaim, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, church. So come, Holy Spirit.
do what only you can do through this meal. Remind us like it's the first time that we're encountering what this meal means. The significance of the body and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, may it nourish us in a fresh way this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we are joined by brothers and sisters all across the earth, all around the world. People we will never meet, people who we can't see, people who are the poor and needy, people who are like us, poor in spirit. We are joined by other brothers and sisters as we celebrate this meal today, and we proclaim the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So church, receive who you are this morning. You are the body of Christ. And if you need elements, we have them available for you in the middle of the aisles.